Amen. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 12 this morning. If you're new here, we've been teaching through the book of Luke for like a year and a half, uh, and we'll be done uh, somewhere around the Easter of next year. So if you ever just want to guess, just flip to Luke and you'll probably be fine. Uh, before we get started, there's uh, just two things I want to cover real quick, and then we'll dive in and have fun together. Um, first, if you don't know me, my name is Gabe. I'm one of the elders here um, at the branch. We're just glad that you're here. I saw a lot of new faces coming in. Um, Carlton will mention it at the end, but um, this is just one third of what we do. We really want you to be part of our family. And one of the easiest first steps you can take is fill out one of the communication cards on your chair um, and drop it off at, with Carlton uh, on the table on the way out. That would be one of the easiest things. Um, so at the beginning of this year, we um, elder staff interns went away to Cleveland for a little retreat and just really begged the question, God, what, what does the next 10 years look for us? 15, 20, like what are you calling us to do? Where are you leading us to go? And um, so we wrestled through kind of some of what God was teaching us, some of our weak spots, some of the things that we see clearly in scripture that, that honestly we just weren't uh, adding up to, we weren't lining up with. And um, so we wrestled and we prayed and we kind of came to this unanimous decision uh, about what the next 10 years looks like and then in return what the next three years looks like to get to 10 years, then what the next one year looks like and then what the next 90 days looks like. Um, so some of you, I was walking around handing out uh, our 10-year uh, vision plan on paper. If you don't have one of those, Carlton will have some on your way out. Uh, make sure you grab them because next week we're going to have, a t in the service, we're going to have a little Q&A um, to make sure that we're all on the same page of what God is asking us to do in the next 10 years. Uh, because here's one of the realities of the branch, um, that we're not just the staff and elders and like we're not doing the work and you guys just come in and write a check and go home. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 is clear that our role is to equip you guys to do the work of the ministry, not us do it by ourselves. Um, so the vision is not our vision, it's uh, as elders, it's all of our vision as the church. Um, so in the next decade, in the next 10 years, uh, our goal, our desire is to um, create a network of churches, um, 10, 10 network of church, a network of 10 churches um, within the next 10 years. Um, so basically what that means is uh, in the next three years, this campus, uh, this church is going to try to start two churches. Um, so some of you in this room right now, we're going to ask you to move, to transfer, to get new jobs and new towns, to go start a work um, like the branch in another college town in the southeast. Um, but the way we're doing that is that we're trying to make disciples who make disciples every two years. Um, so through missional communities, we're trying to um, create a leadership pipeline through discipleship that within two years of you getting involved with us, um, you would be discipled, you could turn around and make disciples, and you could do something massive for the kingdom. Whether it be church planning, whether it be um, moving into a poor part of the neighborhood, and made it, whether it be just being the best teacher on your hall, um, we're not really caring about the specificity of, I just made that word up, the specifics of where you go. Um, what we're interested in is, can we make a disciple who in return can turn around and make disciples? One avenue though for us is church planning. Um, we planted in Dahlonega when everyone told us don't do it, um, but our burden was for college students. Raise your hand real quick if you're a college student. Okay, um, you are top 1% of the world. Did you know that? So if you're a college student in America, you're top 1% of the world. 
the sending power, if we can make disciples while you were in college, the sending power, the potential, and when you graduate and you go wherever, I mean, I'm just looking at the Brooks Brothers. Where do you think you guys are going to go when you graduate? No telling, right? I mean, there's just, with the military, there's no telling where you're going to go. Um, but if you are adequate in making disciples, then wherever you go is going to be an incredible. So that's our goal. That's our vision. Um, so within the next three years, to get to 10 churches in 10 years, uh, we've got to do our part in the next three years and, and try to launch two churches out from here. So what does that mean? That the next lead pastor is sitting in this room? Yes. That is kind of crazy. Like, I just love dreaming about the fact that um, some of you guys have no thought in your mind of ministry, uh, but within a year or two, you're going to be planning a church in a town that you know nothing about. That's pretty awesome to, to think about. It might make you nervous, but makes me giddy. So um, next week is a Q&A. You'll have that document. We'll have the document up on the screen, and you can just ask any question you want as long as. Here's the only condition for next week. Now, the way we're going to do it is through communication cards. You write us your questions on the card. As long as you sign it, as long as you sign the card, you can, we'll answer your questions. Uh, we just don't want to create, uh, how do I say this nicely, um, drive-by cowards. How about that? that come to critique our vision and then leave and not sign your name. So if you have a serious concern with the vision, you think it's unbiblical, we want to meet with you. The elders want to talk to you about it, and we cannot do that if you don't sign your name to the card. So as long as you sign your name to the card, we'll answer as many questions as possible. If we run out of time, um, we will get together throughout the weeks to come and have some coffee and talk about what we feel like the Lord is doing. Here's the last thing before we get into the sermon. Um, and, and, and if you know any history about the church, you know what I'm about to say is not uh, normal for us because we're not that, um, I mean, we, we meet in a gym, right? There's, there's nothing flashy about us. We don't really give things away. So we never say this, but I'm going to say this. You do not want to miss next week, okay? Now, like not everyone's getting an iPad or a goldfish or anything like that, but trust me, Tell your friends that you don't see here, uh, next week is going to be one of the biggest moments in the life of the branch ever. And we've been around for three years. Next Sunday is going to be one of those moments that everyone's going to look back and remember what happened next Sunday. And I'm not talking about gimmick. I'm not shaving my beard or anything dumb like that. Um, there's a move of the spirit here, and we're going to tell you guys about it next week. But you have to be here. Sound good? So tell your friends, tell your family, put it on the Twitter, whatever you want to do. Uh, make sure you get here next week. Deal? Okay. So Luke 12 is where we're going to stand. And we've kind of, as we've been working our way through Luke, the, the big idea, the gist is, and we've even titled it, uh, A Meal with Jesus. And so the thought being, do we actively know who Jesus is? Um, do we have a whole religion built around this guy, Jesus? Um, do we know him? Do we know his character? Do we know his grace? Do we know his love, his mercy? Uh, or do we know an idea of him? Because those things are totally different, right? Uh, I can quote you Herschel Walker stats. I don't know Herschel Walker. I can talk to you all day about Chipper Jones getting into the Hall of Fame. Have I ever met Chipper? No. Where's my wife? She's in there. My wife has, which I'm a little jealous of, but uh, I've never met Chipper Jones. I sat next to John Smoltz one time in a restaurant, but I was too nervous to talk to him. Um, so some of those names mean nothing to anyone. Go watch baseball. It's American pastime. Um, so we can have this idea about Jesus, but do we actively know Jesus? That that's the big question that we're trying to answer and trying to wrestle through. Now, when I was growing up, one of my favorite vacations, there's my wife, 
She met Chipper Jones. I didn't meet Chipper Jones. <clears throat> when I was growing up, one of my favorite vacations, uh, we flew into Salt Lake City and, and made a big loop around the West. And so I like, went down to Las Vegas, went over to San Francisco, went up to like the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone, and it was incredible. Uh, but of all the scenery and all the things that we did, one of my favorite memories from that trip was we were in San Francisco. Um, and my dad, who happens to be an elder here, who doesn't know the stories coming up, um, was going crazy because he could not find his sunglasses. Anyone ever done that? So you're looking everywhere. We're looking in the car. We had pulled up all the, uh, the luggage. We're helping him look through the luggage because we're going to go walk on the beach. And who can walk on the beach without sunglasses? Um, and so kind of one of those moments where everyone realized it at the same time, and except for him, his sunglasses were sitting on top of his hat. So we've been looking for 20 minutes for these sunglasses that were, but here's, the story gets better. Uh, he had found his extra pair of sunglasses. So my dad starts to walk down the beach with a pair of sunglasses on his face uh, and sunglasses up on his head. It's incredible. Nobody told him. It was just fun to watch because he looked uh, silly. Uh, I laugh and I tell this story, but I would be remiss to say that if I couldn't admit to doing the same thing, right? That so much so, I'm, I'm getting old, I'm 30 now, it's just a bad day. Uh, we were on vacation over Thanksgiving break and same thing happened to me. I'm looking for my hat all over the place. Where was my hat? On my head. That's what kids do to you, don't have them. So... Um, <laughs> A lot of times what we're always looking for and what we're seeking is, is really always in front of our face the entire time. That's typically how things work. It's not such big mystery. And so what we're going to see this morning through the text uh, is that what we're looking for, this longing, this desire uh, for more of a relationship with Jesus is literally sitting in front of us. We just have to stop all the fray, stop all the noise and listen and find out what it is. So Luke 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 54 through 59. And I'll read all of it. We'll pray, talk a little bit about it, and kind of see what the Lord is up to this morning. Sound good? Okay, sounds awful. I'm going to do it anyways. Luke 12, 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So let's pray. My Father, these are your words. And God, you literally stood on this earth 2,000 years ago and said this. So Father, it's important. Would, would, would you speak to us this morning the same way that you were speaking to the disciples and the crowds of that day? Father, would we not miss you? But we understand that we are looking everywhere for happiness and joy and uh, to be fulfilled, to be complete. And God, you've been right in front of us the whole time. So God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you speak uh, through me this morning? Let my words fall away, but God, what, let yours ring true in our hearts this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
So uh, let me just kind of set the scene here for what we've been working through. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The text that we covered last week, um, literally Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, meaning I've got to die. We are on our way to Jerusalem. Uh, My death is inevitable. I'm going to die. That's what we're doing. So he had all these crowds going with him, uh, following him all along. And so he has this teaching. Now this teaching in, in last week's doesn't necessarily bump up um, you guys know that, right, with Scripture, that like just because you read it, there might be some time in between uh, the stories. And so um, this story is a little bit after the one before, but he's still got the same tone, the same um, fervency in him for people to really know um, who he is and what he's doing. And so when he's frustrated with them, he uses this real-world example of weather, uh, that we know how to see the clouds coming in and interpret that. Uh, but Jesus is literally standing in front of them, and he's going, you don't, you don't know what to do with me. Um, For the Jews that were following him, they had all the oral traditions. They had the stories that had been passed from generation to generation, from their grandfather Adam to Moses to David. All that was promised was this Messiah that was coming. They had, at this time, they had their Old Testament written for them so they can read and study and go to uh, the temple and hear the scriptures read. So they knew that the Messiah was coming. And so they had this guy, Jesus, that they were following, they were going after, they had seen or heard of him raising people from the dead, from casting out demons, from um, healing people constantly, listening to him teach, going, there's, there's no way this man's teaching on his own authority. So they had all this information right in front of them, and they missed it. But the same thing, you take Luke. Luke wasn't the guy that's writing this, wasn't a Jew, and he was writing to uh, the Greeks of the day going, listen, you've got to understand this guy Jesus. You've got to hear what this guy Jesus is doing. Even for the Greeks, they had what was called the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. So even these guys had access to read all these things about the coming Messiah. Jesus was in front of them, and they were missing it. And Jesus is going, oh, my goodness, guys. You can look into the clouds and see what's taking place. You're able to say, here comes rain. I mean, we do this, right? Anytime there's any snow forecast, milk and bread are gone, right? That there's, everyone just goes to prepare. And here, here's why. Um, there's two, there's a word that Jesus used twice that we need to kind of understand. Um, if you go back to verse 55, you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So when you take this word interpret back to the Greek, what it really means is analyze. So you are able to analyze what's taking place with the sky, but you're not able to analyze me. You're not able to look at my words and do something with it, because here's the deal, interpretation, analyzation always comes with what? Action. If you're able to interpret and analyze something, it's going to be cold today. What do I need to do? Wear a jacket. I'm getting ready to graduate. I'm analyzing the situation. What do I need to do? Find a job. If you don't know that, find a job. Right? We're able to interpret, to analyze the situation, but that analyzation always leads to action. And so these disciples, these um, crowds that were following after Jesus, just weren't interested in the action. So that's why Jesus goes on to tell the story um, about a guy that was being drugged to court. So he's literally walking to court um, with the man next to him that was accusing him. So let's just say uh, I stole $10,000 from somebody. 
So I'm going to small claims court. On the way to court, it would be better for me to say, bro, listen, you're right. Uh, let's work out a deal. Let me repent straight to you. Let's not go into the court system because if we go to court, they're going to throw me in jail. So is there something I can do? Can we come up with a deal before we get into court? So Jesus is saying, listen, because of who I am, you've got to understand that your court date is coming and I'm right in front of you. I'm telling you what it looks like to be saved. I'm telling you what it looks like to have a new life. I'm telling you what it looks like to be a new creation and you're just walking straight to jail. And when you get in there, I mean, it's, the imagery is just rich. Verse 59, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Now, for me, here, and maybe you're like me, maybe you're not like me. I hope you're not like me, but maybe in this sense you're like me. You read this and you just want to go back in time and just slap the crowds and just like, how could you miss this? How could you miss, how could you look at Jesus when he healed someone from the dead and go, eh, I want some nachos. Right? I mean, how could you watch Jesus walk on water and go, hmm, hmm. Just stay so neutral to all the things that were Jesus were doing. How could you watch Jesus go, hey, listen, you're not allowed to be dead anymore. Get up. And then just still stay neutral to the things of God. If, if I could just have, if we could just have Jesus in front of us, it would be better for us is our thought, right? If Jesus was here in this room, things would be better. And, and there's two ways to look at this. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on one. Uh, but we do have Jesus in our hearts. We do have Jesus in this room. It's through the Spirit. Are we able to analyze and interpret what the Spirit's asking us? But also, most of us have Jesus sitting in our laps right now. That We have Scripture in front of us. And the same warning that Jesus is giving that you don't know how to analyze, you don't know how to interpret Jesus sitting in front of you, I think is the warning for us that we have holy scripture in our lap and we don't know how to interpret it and we don't know how to analyze it. Most of us, and we'll get there, most of us probably don't even really value it. Churches have the greatest lost and found of Bibles ever. Now, you look at third world countries, you look at the underground church in China where they're fighting for scripture. And that's just not us. That's not the American Christianity. We have Jesus in front of us. Jesus is the, or the Bible is the sunglasses sitting on top of our heads that we're looking so desperately for, not realizing it's been here the whole time. It's scripture. Because we're all constantly looking for answers, True. 3.5 billion searches go into Google every day. 3.5 billion. That's about my net worth. Search for every day. <laughs> right? Just make sure you're with me. I flew in here on a helicopter. You'll see it in a minute. It's pretty cool. Now, 3.5, so that equates to 1.2 trillion Google searches every single year. Do you think people are looking for answers? Do you think people are looking for truth? Do you think people are asking good questions, but they're asking it to Google? You're looking it up on Wikipedia. Anybody can write Wikipedia. That is not a credible source. College kids, don't put that on a college paper. It's bad. So we're all looking for knowledge. Philippians 1, 9 through 10 puts it this way. And this is my prayer. That, you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So the knowledge and discernment that comes from Scripture is all the answers that we need. Uh, the John Piper quote that's going to be behind me that just really helps to understand what the supremacy of Scripture looks like. Jesus helps us to see here, yep, Jesus helps us to see here why the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture matters. It's not merely because we want to assert the documents don't err, but more importantly that we don't err in preserving the Bible from error. God is loving us. The scriptures are meant to protect people. Truth leads to freedom and error leads to bondage. Truth saves, error destroys. Truth enlightens, error deceives. Truth gives life, but error brings death. Therefore, God is concerned not only with his own glory and being a God of truth, he's concerned also for us when he guards his word from error. So what Piper is getting at is what scripture would get at. That if we want true life, if we want this John 10, 10 life to the full, where we find that is through scriptures. It's through understanding the character and nature of Jesus Christ. And the best way to do that is through the text. I love some of you guys. I love all of you guys. But the, the greatest, uh, some, the greatest way to know Christ is not through conversation. It's through the scriptures. I love, and we'll get to it, the gospel proclamation, the preaching. I listen to probably more preachers than anyone else in this room. But that is not to replace us with Scripture. That is man's opinion on Scripture. It's not Scripture itself. So what God is asking us to do is to fall in love with the Scripture. Here's some, I was doing some research this week, and uh, honestly, like, just got bummed, man, that there is a word now for America, especially the American church, biblical illiteracy, that that is a thing now because of Christians and not knowing their Bibles and not holding their Bibles as valuable that we've come up with a term called biblical illiteracy. Even that term should just make us grieve that that is a true reality. Um, so you guys know Gallup research? All this research was done by these guys. Um, and here's uh, the, George Gallup says this, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they become a nation of biblical illiterates. So we're going to have bumper stickers and we're going to fight with people and argue with people that the supremacy of scripture, and this is the way to go. And we're a Bible believing country and that's good and great and all that's right, but we don't actually read it. I actually know what it says. So let me, you don't agree with me, let me prove some of these for you. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Fewer than half of all adults. Now this is real research. I didn't make this up. Gallup Research did this. Now, many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. Okay, Paul was not a disciple. Fewer than half, excuse me, 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder, this is Gallup's comment here, no wonder people keep breaking the Ten Commandments, they don't know them. Right? It's fewer than 60% of Americans can name all of them. I've quoted this one before. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. So 82% of non-believing Americans say God helps those who helps themselves as in Scripture. Now, if we if just chew on that for a second, isn't the point of the gospel that we cannot help ourselves, therefore Christ had to come do it for us? 
At some level, it seems elementary, but do you know how many Christians think that's in the Bible? 82% of non-believers think God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. 81% of Christians think that. So, so what, we're, what we're understanding is two things. One, Christians don't understand the narrative of Scripture. And two, we're one percentage away from the world. So we know, based on this one study, we know almost as much as non-Christians do about this book that we're supposed to hold so reverent. A, co- a majority of adults think that the Bible teaches the most important purpose is to take care of one's family. It's the most important purpose. 12% of adults believe that Joan of, Arc's, Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. It's hard not to laugh at that one, right? Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the, on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. So let me, I mean, we don't have time to delve into this, but in the culture of homosexuality marriage on the rise, if we don't understand what God was communicating to us through Sodom and Gomorrah, then, then no wonder we've come to the conclusions that we have as a church, not the Brinks, the Big C Church. If over 50% of high school seniors don't know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and believe that that was a couple, then how can we ever try to teach them a biblical worldview on what marriage is? Because that literally is the farthest from the truth. So as I'm praying, as I'm looking through scripture and trying to understand uh, where we might be, uh, based just on Luke so far, I've came up with four different groups of people that I think would represent all of us. And so the, net, the rest of this morning, I just want to throw out these and just see where you land, see where you start to uh, understand. Uh, where do you stand on Scripture? I think the first group of people that we see, uh, well, more or less we don't see, uh, is the skeptics. So we always talk about the crowds that are following Jesus. We always talk about the disciples. Um, but what about the people that as Jesus' posse was going through town, just stay in the house and keep doing what they're doing? I mean, not every single person that Jesus walked through in their towns actually came out to follow Jesus. There was a group of just skeptics that go, nah, I just, I just don't believe them. And I think there's a large majority of scriptural skeptics around us, especially when you start wandering on college campus in college towns, uh, that just do not believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Maybe some good stories, maybe it's a good idea, but at the root of it, they just don't believe it. Now, I'm not trying to say these people were bad people by no means because one of the coolest things we've seen when we first got up here, um, they, the Skeptic Society on campus uh, had a Send an Atheist to Church. Have you guys heard this? So basically it's a fundraiser and whatever church got the most money raised, the atheist, someone from the Atheist Club would have to come to that church. Um, and so through that process and just through some friends of friends, um, we had two or three guys part of the Skeptic Society that were plugged into a missional, Kyle's missional community. These guys were great, and they were awesome, and they would give you the shirt off their back. They're some of the greatest guys that I've known. They just didn't believe in Scripture. They're just skeptical about the whole thing. But at least they were open and honest about it, right? I mean, they weren't trying to, like, 
go under the radar. They would just blatantly tell you, no, I don't believe in any of this. Now, Jeremiah 5.21, I think, addresses them well. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Now, just for me, raise your hand if you ever went through a skeptic season of your faith. Yeah, me too. So this season is not bad. But, but here would be my plea to people that if you're in the skeptic season right now, here's my plea. Uh, don't create your fort and stay there. Don't come to your own conclusions and not have the, uh, I'm going to say this nicely, not have the, the intellectual fortitude to actually do the research, to not actually have the conversations. Don't find one blog that you love and just read this one blog and everyone else is wrong. Any time I disagree with people on scripture here, and I'm not trying to say I'm right, but here's what I'll always do. Um, listen, if you will read this book, I will read that book and let's have a conversation. If you'll listen to this, I'll listen to this and, and let's, because I want to find the answer. I want to find the conclusion. So if you're skeptic, that I'm okay with that as long as you're a true skeptic. As long as you're asking the right questions, you're doing the research. I have no doubt that if you actively study scripture, you're going to become a Christian. There's just no doubt. If you actively research, study, ask intelligible questions, peer review, all that kind of stuff, I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to get to know the God of the Bible and he's going to save you. But you've got to do it with integrity. If you're going to be a skeptic, be a real skeptic and ask questions. So for, for this group of people, what would I urge them to do Study the Bible. That's what I would urge you to do. So if you're not a skeptic, maybe you fall into this camp. Maybe you're just apathetic. Maybe you have grown up in church. You did like the, uh, what did they used to call them? Oh my goodness. Uh, sword drills. Y'all remember those? Right? Like, all right, everyone flip now. Like you probably know more scripture in your head right now than I ever will. That's just who you are, you know it. But maybe this oversaturation, maybe uh, some of your leaders growing up not connecting the dots for you of why scripture matters, that you know your Bible, but you're just kind of apathetic to it. It doesn't affect you, it doesn't change the way you lived. You know that you should read it, but you can't give me an answer why you should read it. So you're just apathetic. You understand the inerrancy of it. You believe in it for the most part, but it just doesn't really affect you. It's not who you are, it's not what you do, it's, it's just it. Um, first, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6 would be where I would point to you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or you do not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you'll find out that you, we have not failed the test. If, if, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you just to go back and listen to the sermon from the text that we listened to or preached last week because apathy just doesn't exist. It, it is a false straw man that we've created. You either do or you don't. So your apathy, just examine, test yourself. Your apathy is not proven that you're neutral to the things of God. It's proven that you're enemy to the things of God. There's just no neutral ground. There's no apathy in the kingdom. So my, my warning, my concern with those that are apathetic is uh, your apathy is telling you something. You probably just don't realize what it's telling you. 
that you don't believe in the narrative of Scripture, you don't consider the word sitting in your lap right now changes life and changes hearts and it will change yours. So what would my recommendation be for the apathetic? Study your Bible. Study the Bible for real, for real. Uh, maybe number three, I think this is probably, if I were to throw a statistic out here, this is probably 80% of us in this room right now. You're just distracted. You love scripture. And there's been so many moments in your life where you can look back and say, this was a defining moment, not because of a sermon, not because of a retreat, not because of a camp, but because what God revealed to me in scripture I hang my hat on this one thing, this one truth that God taught me at this one point. I can take you through and flip through and, and underline and have dates next to it. I love and understand the scriptures, but day in and day out, I'm just so distracted and running so crazy that it just falls to the wayside. And I know it and I recognize it and I, I see it, I sense it, but in a lot of ways, I just don't know how to fix it. So you love the word, you understand the word, but you're distracted. There's plenty of things coming up in front of your mind. Uh, there's about, a, really, at the end of this year, last year, Christmas time, um, I was just kind of frustrated with my workflow. Anyone else? I just needed a new system, get a little bit more organized. And so uh, as I was looking up research methods on, and how best does my brain work, I came across uh, this structure and this, this phrase from Dwight D. Eisenhower. Uh, now, if you don't know anything about Eisenhower, president, pretty cool dude. In a lot of ways, you can, we can argue politics later. Um, but the way that the man thought was incredible, that, that every one mile out of five miles on our interstate system is straight, so that if we ever go to war, you can land planes. So just a really great thinker, right? So here's what he had to say. If it isn't urgent, it is not important. But if it's important, it's never urgent. Let me say it again. If it's urgent, it's not that important. But if it's important, it's never urgent. So for those that wrestle with distraction, I would just challenge you to step back and go, okay, what, what's really fighting for my time though? Because it's probably urgent, but if it's urgent, it's really not that important. So fight for the things that are important and don't make that be urgent. Does that make sense? Um, here's James 1.22, here's what it says. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, but he goes away at once and forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, forgets who forgets, but a doer who acts. He is blessed in his doing. So how do you know if you're distracted? How do you know if, because it's going to start changing the way you live that you can't just read this and not do something about it. One of uh, Jeff Vanderstilt, who runs kind of Soma Community that we model a lot of our church after, uh, always hounds into the fact that how many small groups, how many people, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, uh, have studied through the book of James, and not once have you ever taken care of a widow or orphan. Who studied through the book of James, but not once have you worked on bridling your tongue. So what he would say, and this is where, if you get to James where it says, this is true religion, the ones who take care of widows and orphans, shut your Bible until you figure out what that means. Live out scripture, it's, it's quality over quantity. I don't care that you read the Bible in a year, what'd you do with it? Did it change the way you lived? Did it change how you act? 
I mean, gosh, if we just had one verse a year that we modeled and lived out, would be way better than reading the Bible 20 times and doing nothing with it. So are we distracted? And here's, here's the last one. Well, so for those, here's my press in, here's my application for you. If you're distracted, uh, you probably know where this is going. Study the Bible. So if you're a skeptic, my challenge for you is study the Bible. If you're apathetic, my challenge to you is study the Bible. If you are uh, distracted, my application to you is, anyone? Study the Bible, right? And here's, here's the last group, and, and I know a handful of these people in this room. Um, you are just hungry. There's not enough hours in the day for you to spend studying and living out Scripture. You understand it. You feel it. You understand the weight and the power of it, that your Bible is your life, and that is the truth that everything hangs on. That you understand Scripture. You understand Isaiah 48, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. That's not a verse to you. That is an anchor point for you that everything else is going to burn or be sold in a yard sale, but you know with everything that you are that Scripture stands forever. You understand 2 Timothy, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. You understand Hebrews 4, that the Word of God is living and active. It is a double-edged sword. You are hungry. You can't stop reading. Thank you. Thank you for that that you hold scripture so high to regard that it changes. You literally build your schedule around your time with the Lord through scripture. Thank you for that. So Martin Luther, who was the great reformer, was thrown into a council and they were telling him to recant for all the things that he was teaching because it went against the church, it went against the Pope. And here's his response. And lest I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust in either the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against uh, conscience. May God help me. Amen. So he's standing in front of this council, standing in front of the Catholic Church and going, I can't. I'm not going to bow down to anything you guys are saying because I know my scripture and that does not line up. I'm going to fight for this over your word any day. Are we that confident in our scriptures? So, so what does it look like as we start to wrap up? What does it look like for us? then as, as the church to equip you guys. Um, there's a famous uh, pastor that's passed away, Dr. Martin Lord-Jones. Anyone ever heard of him? Bro's just a baller. You should research him. Dead guys are way better than alive guys. If you read alive guys, stop. Go read some dead preachers. They're just incredible. Um, so doctor, they call him the doctor because he was an actual medical doctor before God called him into ministry. Um, went on staff as the lead pastor of this massive church at that time. Um, and this church was known for plays and productions. Um, that's just their ministry expression. That's what they did was dramas and all this stuff. So Dr. Jones came in on his first Sunday there. He got the pulpit in the center and got a hammer and nails and nailed the pulpit down on the stage going, we will not remove this no matter what. That dramas and plays are never to replace the supremacy of preaching in the church. Literally nailed down the pulpit to the stage so that no one could take it off. I love that guy. I don't think I can nail this down, but if I could, I would. 
That is our commitment to you. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, our team has worked really long and long and hard, and we have fought over what we do as a church. And there's three things. There's Sunday gatherings, there's missional communities, and there's DNAs. And every single one of those is requirement to make disciples through this process. And so we believe based on Scripture, there's three steps to become a disciple, to know Jesus, to know the Word, to actually believe that it's true, and then to obey. So missional communities, Sunday gatherings, and DNAs all start with knowing Scripture. That is the first thing for everything we do is do our people know Scripture. So when you come to Sunday gathering, it's centered around teaching every single way the know. When you get into a missional community, it's centered around discussing the truths of Bibles. And when you get into DNA, it's centered around reading the truths of the Bible. That is what we're fighting for. That is all that we do is trying to push you guys in that direction. So what is our charge to you that if we're not doing anything centered around the Bible, come tell an elder. Here's what I don't want you to do. Hey, I just want you to know, we've had a couple of communication guards. My church did this, you should do this, you're wrong. Well, my Aunt Sally says, blah, 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 blah. But if you can come to our elders and say, hey, here's why I'm concerned for the church and here's why, here's scripture that proves it, we're gonna buy you dinner and sit you down and talk and we want to know that this thing is too valuable to mess up by human pride. We want to know if we've erred through Scripture because we're trying to do everything we can to base this church on Scripture. And that means Sunday gatherings, MCs, DNAs are all based solely on Scripture. Now, I have this saying, and we'll, we'll end with this. I have this saying that drives people crazy, but it's just really good. And I didn't create it. I don't know who did. Coincidence or providence. Have you guys heard me say this? Okay, there's some of you that just rolled your eyes. Uh, you can leave the church whenever you want. I'm fine with it. So as I'm studying, that's sarcasm, by the way. As I'm studying this text and what's taking place today, uh, just meet so well. I did not plan this. It is not coincidental. I think it's providential for where we are as a church. Um, <clears throat> after this, after we tear down everything, Carlton in the back, who pastors our missional communities and DNAs, is going to do a meeting um, somewhere over on that side of the building. And what the meeting is about is about our DNA groups that we're starting to launch. Now, the first rule of DNAs, though, is you have to be a part of an MC first to be able to get into a DNA. We've tried the other way, it just didn't work. But here's what a DNA is. Uh, a DNA, you come together and you read scripture together. So you might be working through any book of the Bible. You might be trying to use the scripture only app or scripture app and, and go through the Bible in a year. Whatever you guys decide, uh, I think is fine. Carlton will correct me if I'm wrong. But you're studying, you're holding each other accountable to reading scripture. And you're asking four simple questions. Based on this text, who is God? What has he done? Who are we and what then do we do? So everyone, and this is three guys or three girls, we're split by gender and we're keeping it small so that no one can hide in the corner, holding each other accountable to reading scripture. Based on that scripture, you're confessing sin and you're nurturing sin. Here's who God is. Here's who I am. I've got to talk about it. I've got to get this off my chest, excuse me. I've got to get this off my chest because I'm not lining up to what God is asking me to do. So we're learning to coach and, and nurture and confess sin together. But then the last part, D, so that discover scripture is the D, uh, nurture sin and confess sin is the N, and then A is act. Because of what we've studied and because who God is, what is God asking us to do? And we find that through prayer. We hold each other accountable to doing that. So if I go back to those that are hungry, that are just studying scripture, what is my application for you? Teach others to read scripture. 
So for three-fourths of us in this room, we need a DNA just to be held accountable to reading Scripture. For one-fourth of us in this room, we need to be teaching others why Scripture is so beautiful. So if you're interested, and this isn't a shameless plug, because church, hear me, I don't, we're not trying to grow numbers, we're trying to make disciples. And I want you to know Scripture, and this is the best way we know how to do that. These aren't numbers that we turn in. We've got 8,700 people within DNAs. Uh, we've even thought about, this just shows how sinful I am, creating a fictitious church and just sending numbers into Outreach Magazine. We're going to be the fastest growing church in America. It's not even going to be real, just to make fun and poke fun at that kind of system. Because we're not about growing numbers, we're about growing disciples who make disciples. It's never been about one location, it's about when a team is ready, we send them out, we send them to college communities in the southeast, we send them across the country, we send them across the globe. Who cares? But the scripture is what changes us. The scripture is true and honest and we just have to ask the begging question, are we who Jesus is talking about? How do you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth in the sky, but not know how to interpret me, not know how to interpret the present time. That's us, because we have scripture in our lap, and we do nothing with it oftentimes. So here's just a couple things to wrap us up. Aren't we grateful, aren't we humbled at the fact that God saved us, he rescued us, but he didn't leave us here to figure this thing out by ourselves? that he gave us the spirit and he gave us his word. He didn't have to. I mean, you, you just got to take a step back and understand God didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to rescue us. He didn't have to redeem us and he didn't have to give us his word. That's how good of a father he is to us. And so we end most gatherings the same way, remembering all that God has done for us through communion. So we take time to pray and to consider and to ponder. And when our heart is ready, uh, we go and we break the bread off, which represents his body. We dip it in the juice, which represents his blood. We remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us that allows us to gather in this room, that allows us to pray directly to him because he is our empathetic high priest. He tore the veil. He allowed us to be in his presence. That's what we remember. So interpret, analyze scripture. Uh, we're going to end this one a little different. I'm not going to pray. Uh, we're all in a second going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 30. And it's going to be on the screen for us too. But to correctly analyze and interpret scripture, we need to read it. We need to sit and ponder. We need to pray. We need to consider and when our heart is ready, then we act through, through communion. So um, the lights are going to go down. We're going to spend a moment in prayer. Uh, after I read this, I would challenge you guys, if you need to, to look up and look on the screen. But, but I'm just going to usher us into a moment of silence in analyzing and interpreting Scripture for us. Um, so would you guys just bow your heads with me? First Corinthians 11, 27 through 30. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So let us spend the next few moments just examining ourselves. Where is there sin that we need to confess? What do we need to repent from? What is God asking us to do? The scripture will be on the screen. Just to take a few moments to examine, we'll have um, some picking from the guitars just to relax and listen. And whenever you've examined your heart as a believer, the communion is open. If you're not yet a believer, uh, we just ask that you respectfully sit out on this part. Um, This is a very special time for us as we remember what Christ has done for us. Let's take a few moments just to sit and examine our hearts.